Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hi there, and welcome back to our video series, Two Crowns, as we wrestle with finding God in a world affected by COVID-19. Now, this is session three, and so far we've touched upon some of these ideas that, yes, all people are affected, especially in this season, by suffering equally. And it's true that it almost seems that the crown of the coronavirus is dominating all of our hearts and minds, our thoughts of the future, our hope. But we said maybe in this historical person, Jesus of Nazareth, who claimed to be God come in human form to suffer for us and with us, this man who wore the other crown, the crown of thorns, of suffering, Maybe we don't solve the problem of evil and suffering in God like you would a mathematical equation, but we are invited to know Him, to follow Him, and to trust Him. So in today's session, we will then ask, okay, so what is then the foundation of my life? In this season, how should I respond? Now, honest question is, What is it about COVID-19 that so devastates us, these kinds of moments in our inward being? If I can be honest, it feels like when these moments come of deep disappointment, of disruption in my life, I often feel like my foundations are shaken. Those things that I'm building my life on suddenly don't feel all that solid. Those things that I've been finding hope and purpose in suddenly feel less than adequate to do so. This has obviously not been the first time in my life and there will be more moments like this, but if I'm truly honest, whenever these very dire moments have befallen my heart and my life, I've ended up in a place where my heart just says, do I really believe this, you know, God and faith? Because often my heart comes to a place where it just utters, I don't know. In this season, I'm not sure. Now, I'm sure you've had many moments like this yourself. If I just look over my own life, there have been just these instances where circumstances, where life, it just literally pulls the rug right out from under me. You know, at school, I loved running. I was good at it. Um, It was something that I found so much identity in. Uh, It was my thing, you know, my claim to fame. And then... One day, doctors discovered an abnormality, a career-ending abnormality in my ankle bones. And just then and there, that thing that I found so much identity in was gone. I never ran competitively again. Similarly, my dad, over almost three decades of his life, he had built up this incredibly successful contracting business. I remember once one of my teachers just quipping, it feels like your parents are building everything in the city at the moment. I found so much security in that business, in their success, you know, that that money, that esteem would always follow us. And then in my first year of university, that company went bankrupt. My father was sequestrated. We lost everything. And all that I put so much of my security into was gone in an instant. In my early 20s, 
Uh, as I was finishing up my studies, I started working for a church and I was so excited, so passionate about what we were doing. And at one stage we felt led to buy land and put up a building. It felt like nothing could stop us as a church. And then exactly one year to the date of us putting up that building in a freak accident, it was destroyed, collapsed. I'll never forget the sight opening up my car door, getting out and seeing the destruction. It felt like this microcosm of my own heart and hopes in that very moment. And the last story is we've got three kids and our middle child, Benjamin, it's my only son. His name means the strength and the authority of God. At age four, we discovered that he had a genetic abnormality in his cochlea. He was diagnosed with lifelong hearing loss. And you know, I, in the past, I would feel so genuinely sorry for people when these kinds of things would happen to them, you know, over there in other people's lives. But I never ever thought that this would happen to us in our home with our kids. We were devastated. I'm sure you can tell stories like this in your own life of the rug being pulled out from under you where devastation or disappointment or disruption comes and it pulls away, it destroys the hope, the purpose that you feel in life. So Viktor Frankl, he was this Jewish doctor who survived the death camps of Nazi Germany in the Second World War. And he wrote one of the most influential books of our time. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. And in it, he notes how these people who were caught in these horrendous circumstances, in these death camps, how some of them were able to remain strong and kind. Some of them just crumbled, fell away. And others even resorted to turning to evil. They became co-conspirators just to ensure their own survival. And he notes the difference between these people in a season like that as having to do with where they located their true purpose and hope in life. So he said that some people in those circumstances, they just collapsed emotionally, psychologically or, or spiritually. They just died by giving up. He said others still, they turned to brutality, to thieving, to even stabbing their own people in the back, those close to them, just so that they would survive. But he makes the case and he notes that those who are able to stand strong, to remain kind, the reason is it seemed like they had a hope, a true purpose that transcended life, that transcended those circumstances. You know, there's a moment in the life of Jesus, it's recorded, where he actually speaks of this very same thing. He makes the case to say that there are certain things we can build our life on that will actually help us, keep us to remain strong. And then there are other ways that just see us crumbling when things go wrong. So he says in Matthew 7, 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed 
it collapsed with a great crash. See, Jesus does not say if the rain comes, but when the rain comes in life, our foundations are exposed. Like this COVID-19 season, as the rain comes, my foundations, your foundations are exposed and we can either collapse or we can stay strong. So let's take a bit of time and explore these two foundations. Maybe first on the secular side, that question once again is there. Can we find true hope and purpose, ultimate hope and purpose in a godless, pointless universe? The atheist biologist Stephen Jay Gould says, no, if life, all of it is just simply an accident of nature, if it's all running down and if there's no real point to our lives, then he says, no, we cannot find ultimate hope or purpose in life. And so what we have to do is we have to create hope and purpose for ourselves in this life. So he says, yes, it's true. There are these gaps on the inside that we all sense that we feel we have to fill, but we will have to fill those things with things in this life that we create for ourselves. But as we've noted before, I think this creates such problems for this worldview. The first thing is that if we are going to venture to fill these gaps with these things in life, everyone knows by experience, by intuition, especially the older you get, that none of these things that we try and fill the gaps with of maybe love or career or success or sexuality or esteem, none of those things ever actually satisfy us. We always need more. There's never been a person who has found that one business in success or found that one bottle in addiction or jumped into that one bed in sexuality and came away saying, I am now truly satisfied in the depth of my soul. We always need more. And secondly, the very nature of those things that we try and fill the gaps with, they are by nature things that fall away, that are broken, that die that are destroyed by the calamities of life. When we base our lives, our true hope and purpose on career or success or sexuality or our health or our kids or our marriage, they are doomed to fail. Beauty fades, loved one dies, um, health never lasts, and success is short-lived. As we've noted in a previous session, uh, all secular thinkers would say, yes, it's true. The universe is slowly marching to its own demise, to its own death. And so in a universe like that, in a pointless life like that, how can you find true hope and purpose? And I think it will always come down to the fact that as you go higher and higher on the chain of the events and the convictions of your life, that question will always be there. What is the point? What's it all coming to if you base your life, the foundation and purpose of your life, maybe on your career, it will come to nothing. That's true in this kind of universe. If you base it maybe on key relationships with people, you and those people will die. If I base my, my hope, my purpose in life on helping others and making the world or a better place, you know, looking after nature, I'm admitting the fact that none of those things will matter in the end. They're all going to come to nothing. I think this is so well grasped in the 2011 movie, The Sunset Limited, where an atheist professor played by Tommy Lee Jones, he tries to commit suicide. He wants to end his life by stepping in front of um, a train. 
But at the very last moment, an ex-convict played by Samuel L. Jackson pulls him away. He saves his life. And in their ensuing conversation, Tommy Lee Jones's character, this professor, he tries to explain to Jackson that the reason for his actions, the conviction that brought him to this place, is that if, if all people would actually come to the place of understanding the futility of life, that it's all coming to nothing. They would actually have no true reason to give why they should not just end their life on the spot. In a pivotal moment of their conversation, he says, it's not just that I think that that's the way that I see it. I think that is the way that it is. So the philosopher Thomas Nagel, I think, He pulls no punches when he says, even if you produce a great work of literature, which continues to be read thousands of years from now, eventually the solar system will cool or the universe will wind down and collapse and all traces of your effort will vanish. It wouldn't matter if you had never existed. And after you have gone out of existence, it won't matter that you did exist. You see, in the modern world, we have defined the purpose of life as making a difference. But in the end, the universe in a secular worldview gives us our answer. All this making a difference, all this striving, creating, being, doing, it all comes to nothing. That's just the brutal honesty of the secular worldview. So once again, what then of Christianity? How does it grapple and wrestle with this idea of true purpose and hope in a season like COVID-19? Now, the first thing that I think is so crucial to understand is that the Bible makes a massive distinction that true hope and purpose is not created, but that it is discovered. It is revealed to us. You see, all religions and philosophies at their core are striving towards something trying to find something. It's almost as if we are reaching up. But in Christianity, we see the opposite. God is the one who is reaching to us. He is the one who is revealing himself to us. The Bible makes it plain. Instead of human beings being at the center of all existence, that everything is revolving around us, it says that God is at the center of all things everything revolving around him. So from the very first words in the Bible in Genesis, we see that God is the one who establishes the purpose of mankind, our meaning. And it's in this meaning that God establishes, that he gives to us, that we find true hope and purpose. It's living from that place that makes all the difference. It says we were created for a reason, and that reason is defined by God. But with that, I think secondly and equally important, with God establishing purpose, it teaches us from the very beginning something of the nature of God. The Bible says that God, for all eternity, is one in essence, but three in person. This doctrine is often called the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is such a crucial thing for us to understand. You know, Genesis 1.26, speaking of the creation of mankind, God says, let us 
make man in our image according to our likeness. The Bible says that God created humanity to be in perfect relationship with him and with others. It's in this that we find our true purpose and hope. So if I can be really bold, I would say that Christianity actually claims that the center of the universe is love. Why? Because God is love. He is the one at the center of all things. So one of the books in the second half of the Bible called 1 John, it makes this claim. It says, the one who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. So while this doctrine of the Trinity, it's incredibly mysterious to us, it is so crucial in terms of our understanding of our purpose and hope and understanding who God is. Because here's the the thing, if, if God is not triune, eternally in this relationship, it would mean that he cannot be in his essence a God of love. He could still be a God of, of truth, of goodness, of, of direction, of power, of authority, but he could not be a God of love. Why? Because love is something that's only expressed between people. This would mean if God were not triune eternally, it would mean that love only entered into his existence the moment he created other beings. But what we see in the Bible is the opposite of that. God did not create mankind to fill some kind of void in himself. No, he created out of this place of eternal relationship. He created us so that we would partake in what many theologians have called the dance of God. You see, if I love someone, if I support them, if I encourage them, it's almost as if I'm orbiting around them. And what the Bible says is that God into eternity, in his tri-unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has been appreciating, supporting, loving. He has been orbiting in and around these three persons in one essence, this dance of God. God created out of relationship and not necessarily for it. And so what we see then is that God has eternally been sharing And living in this place of perfect love and relationship with not even a hint of egotism or vanity or self-centeredness. This is the reason why we have been created. Where we find our ultimate hope and purpose is to join God in this dance. Now this idea of God being triune has massive implications for how we find hope and purpose in this season of COVID-19, of the things we find our life on. So the first thing is, the first implication of if this is true, this is who God is and this is who we are, it would mean that our worth, our purpose, is not found in what we can do, but in who we are. You see, the Bible teaches that all people are equally made in the image of, of God. So our worth is not dependent on what we can contribute or how we can perform or our pedigree. No, it says that all people are made in the image. They have intrinsic value. And that means that nothing can rob us of that value. No circumstance, no failure, no setback, 
No deformity, not even a global pandemic can rob us of that divine purpose, that divine value that God has placed upon us. In God, we have a purpose that's not based on our circumstances. We have a hope that nothing can rob from us. So there's this beautiful moment in the New Testament where some of those who were following Jesus, they were under immense pressure. They were being broken apart by life. And even in that moment, because their hope, like that first category of people in Viktor Frankl's book, they had a greater purpose than simply health or wealth or, or well-being. They could say this. They said in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Yes, we are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. You see, when the foundation of my life is that which I can find in this life, money or my career or sexuality or esteem or, or marriage maybe, then when the rain comes and it shakes my foundation, I'm actually removed from my foundation. But if my foundation, my ultimate purpose and hope is found in a relationship, a love relationship with my creator, the one at the center of all things, then none of the shaking of life can ever remove me from my foundation. It can actually bring me closer to it. That's such an incredible thought. Secondly, the implication, if this is who God is and who we are, is that by our very nature, some of our deepest desires and the very depth of our souls will never be ultimately satisfied by things we find in this life. You see, people from all backgrounds and, and people from all philosophies and understandings over the ages have made this comment that it almost seems that at the very heart of the human you know, being in our soul, there is this depth of desire that it seems that no amount of acquiring or performing or, or building or, or sexual activity or familial engagement, none of that, no success seems to truly ever satisfied. It's almost as if there should be something more. And that's why I find it so incredible that Jesus would make the statement about himself in John 6, 35, when he says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Jesus is making the claim that that very depth of soul desire that we all struggle with is found in full satisfaction only in him. You know, the Oxford philosopher C.S. Lewis, he makes this great argument when he says that there is not a single desire that, that any creature would have that would have no way of being satisfied in life. So a baby has a desire for food. It's probably because there is something like food. You know, a duckling wants to go out sailing on the water. It's probably because there is something like water. So he says, if you find yourself in this life battling with this deep desire that nothing seems to fully satisfy, maybe it's because you were not made solely for this world. You were made for infinite satisfaction in an infinite being. If God is the greatest conceivable being that exists, then it's only in him that we will find our true satisfaction. 
That's why probably my favorite verse in the whole Christian Bible, Psalm 16 verse 11, makes this bold claim. It says, you, God, reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy, and at your right hand are eternal pleasures. It is only in God who stands at the center of all things that we can truly, even in a season like this, find true hope and purpose. I think that's why the words of the ancient African theologian, St. Augustine, remains so true today. He once said, you have made us for yourself, O God, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. The third implication of this is who God is and this is who we are of hope and of purpose is that God then would be the one to give us the ideal way of living, of truly flourishing as human beings. You know, a word that the Bible uses very often is the word worship. Now, let's be honest, that's a very churchy word. We don't use that in our own you know, day-to-day thinking. But it simply comes down to this, that if I were to assign so much worth to something or someone, I would then fully give myself to them. I would fully sacrifice myself and orbit, in a sense, around them or around that. But the Bible makes the case that if I were to fully give myself to worship, to orbit around anything else but God, if I were to orbit myself around money, around power, around sex, those things would actually destroy me. So the secular author David Foster Wallace, um, at a commencement speech once, he said such an incredible thing. As someone who doesn't believe in God, he still made this statement. He says, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what we worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, then you will never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. So it's almost like when you go to a barber, he or she would use a very specific kind of scissor to cut your hair. But if I were to go and take that scissor and try and cut, you know, sheeted metal, I would destroy it. I can still do that. I can still try, but it was not and is not the purpose for which it was made. And so therefore, there's a moment in the Bible that makes such a bold claim in the book of Colossians about what we've been made for our ultimate purpose in Colossians 1.16, where it says of God in Jesus, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. It's as if The Bible says the human machine works best when it finds its true hope and purpose and connection to God. When we are truly worshiping, orbiting around God, all these other things of sex or money or power, of esteem, of career, of family or marriage, friendship, 
those things then also find their rightful place. They are good things, but they are not ultimate things. And the final implication of that is who God is and who we are. It makes a radical difference to how we live in this life. And I would say especially in this season of COVID-19. You see, the Bible makes it clear that when God is my ultimate purpose and hope, I can on the one hand find immense joy and pleasure in the things of this life. They are good things that God has created for me. But because they are not my ultimate things, even in this COVID season, I can still flourish and live like a full human being. But on the other side, I don't have to hold my life in such a tight grip. If I need to give over, give up, if I need to serve others in a self-sacrificing way, I can do that. Because my ultimate hope is not found in this world alone, in sexual intercourse, in, in career, in, in making a name for myself, in, in being satisfied. None of those things are the core of my personhood. So once again, C.S. Lewis, he makes such a fascinating argument. In, a, in an article he wrote long ago when the world was gripped in the fear of nuclear war. And he says this, he says, if we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb. Let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts. Not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, but they need not dominate our minds. See, in this COVID-19 season because our ultimate hope and purpose is found in something transcending the situation. The crown of the coronavirus need not dominate us. We can still flourish and be fully human. We can react in that way in the season. But at the same time, we can also live for the good of others. We can live in a self-sacrificing way. We can give up of our own emotions and finances, of our own resources so that others would flourish. That makes perfect sense when God is the one that I live for. When none of the things that I will potentially lose in serving others are my ultimate hope. Now, this is so true of the history of Christianity. Um, this is the reason why um, over the ages, the, the greatest amount of hospitals and children's homes have been started by Christians. Jesus was once asked by a group of people in one of the recordings of his life called Matthew, what would be the ultimate command that a person can live by? And he answered this way in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. But the second, he said, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We can live in the season of COVID-19 in a way that we sacrifice ourselves for others. The sociologist and historian Rodney Stark, he notes that in the year 165, during the reign of Marcus Aurelius in the ancient Roman world, there was this incredible pandemic. It's an eerily similar situation to where we are today. And he said nearly a third of the ancient Roman world was wiped out by it. Can you imagine that? But the history books show that as people were getting sick, 
Those around them would flee. They would leave them to suffer and die alone. Even many of the physicians are recorded as fleeing for their own safety. But the Christians, instead of fleeing and leaving those who were suffering to suffer by themselves, they actually rushed in to support and love and be with them. That kind of response in this season makes perfect sense in the Christian worldview. When God is my true purpose, I can enjoy life. I can flourish even in the season. And I can live in a self-sacrificing way, loving my neighbor. So to finish off, we started the session by quoting Jesus who, who asks the question that there are these different foundations and some of us will crumble and some of us will stand. There's this holiday destination that um, up to that point we had probably frequented for 10 years, I think, as a family. I knew those streets and the sights and sounds of that town so well. And then one year, in a destructive moment, a flash flood ripped through that sleepy little town. And the homes that were standing there for years were suddenly broken apart. It's almost as if when the rain came, as it were, the foundations were exposed. So can we have peace, purpose, even hope in a pandemic? I would just say, I think only Jesus can give us that. That's why in the book of Hebrews, it makes this incredible statement about Jesus. It says, in him, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So join us in session four, our final session, as we are then going to look at the validity of faith. Is there truth to this Christian idea? How can we even know that? And what would it mean for my life? I hope to see you there.